Okay, uh, let's turn over to Acts chapter 2. I just, uh, oh, I love this. Gate City Church. Oh, I just love this. So good. If you're new, we're just ramping up. We're trying to figure this thing out a little bit. We want to know you and meet you and form relationships with you. We have all sorts of ways we're trying to do that. We're building small groups and a variety of things to connect you to. Just keep your eyes peeled. We're just, we're just, we're really just building out a few different things that are really going to help folks connect more. And so I'm so thankful for even the, uh, the number that have been hanging on and doing IHOP community and then the, the crew that's coming you might be new to Gate City. We're just excited about all of y'all. Okay, uh, I want to just continue part two of where I started last week talking about revival. Uh, you know, it's funny, I, I went back and looked and I thought, gosh, I haven't preached much on revival over the last, you know, seven, eight, nine years. And then I, I looked at the series and I've probably done like five series on revival. It's probably like the most I've actually, out of any specific topic, I've actually preached more on revival than anything. It's kind of one of those things that's in my heart and it feels like I'm never talking about it enough, but it's just funny to go back and find out that <laughs> I've actually preached more on this than any other topic. So uh, I want to, um, again, just set a bit of a trajectory of who we are as a church, where we're going, what is, you know, what is one of the key components. And, and Rich is going to come in, in the next month and kind of talk about our, our core values and the things that, that are, are dear to to this new church family. They're really just things that we've all already embraced and loved about the house of prayer. And, and uh, so he's going to kind of lay that out. But right at the onset, I, I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity just to talk about revival because it's not, we're not going to do church if we're not going to believe God for a breakthrough of his spirit. We're just not going to do that. We're going to go together believing God for something far bigger than we've ever seen, far bigger than our eyes have ever seen. And and there's, I think, a dream in the heart of all believers that God would just really come with power. And so that's where we're headed. So uh, what I want to do today is this. Uh, I, ordinarily, when you, when you have guys that talk a lot about revival, they, they tend to have a lot of exciting stuff, a lot of cool testimonies. Um, they talk about church history a lot. But ordinarily, you don't actually get a theological um, biblical explanation of the basis for revival. And so I don't want to go like so deep that we can't follow it. I won't. I'll go clear. But there is clear, this is my point, there is clear biblical basis. And I'm not talking about stretching scriptures and just, you know, trying to play cut and paste. There's, but there's real clear biblical basis to have a, uh, a have real faith locked in on the idea that God is going to move in global revival. And my point is, it's expounded on in the scriptures in multiple ways. And uh, really, it would take me multiple weeks to unpack all of it. But I want to deal with one of the key strands so that we understand that this isn't just, you know, to have some sort of pep rally. We're going to have revival. This is actually a biblically established idea and from my vantage point if if it's kind of like this if if we're as a church if we're not seeing that if we're not heading toward that trajectory we're kind of missing out on what the lord has laid out there in the scripture it's really clear and he's actually given us tomorrow's headlines 
The Bible actually gives us tomorrow's headlines. So if we know where this thing is going, we should then calibrate our heart today to line up with that. If we're not heading toward what the Bible says will be tomorrow's headlines, what are we really doing then? You see what I'm saying? We need to get ourselves focused heading that direction. So uh, let's look at a familiar scripture, Acts chapter 2. We know this is quoting Joel chapter 2. And then what I want to do is I want to bounce from here and talk about God's plan for revival and how that relates to the biblical things he's talked about as, as regards to Israel. Because these two ideas are totally linked. So just f- follow with me and hopefully I can, I can speak this clearly. Help me, Lord. All right, Acts 2, look at verse 17. We know these verses. If you've been in a charismatic church any amount of time, you've heard this one somewhere. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. That phrase right there tells us when the fullness of this is going to be. Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And in the way that it's laid out in the sentence, it's actually right up to it is the idea. It's, this happens just prior to the Lord's return. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love these verses. If you'll just slow down and take some time in these verses, just take an afternoon one day and just read through them slowly and think through all the different implications of these verses. Uh, In the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Like just think about that one, all flesh. Everybody is going to get touched by what God is going to release on the earth. Everybody. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is going to be released across the nations of the earth in a way the earth has never seen before. We saw a beginning at the day of Pentecost when Peter was quoting Joel here. But there is a fullness of this coming that's going to be right at the end, right before the great and awesome day of the Lord, which is the day of the Lord's return. And there is an outpouring that is going to touch all flesh. Come on. All Buddhist flesh, all Hindu flesh, all Muslim flesh, all atheistic flesh. Come on. All tall flesh, short flesh, fat flesh, thin flesh, black flesh, white flesh, Asian flesh, Mexican flesh. What kind of flesh you got? It's going to hit you. This is where it's going, guys. I mean, we could go through every name, Chinese, Taiwanese. I mean, we just go down the list. It's going to hit all flesh. Do we get the implications of what the scripture says when it says there's an outpouring that's going to touch every sphere and sector of the globe, all flesh? You know, all we've ever seen is an outpouring of the spirit, maybe localized in one church or one city. Historically, we've seen them where they hit a nation in power, and there'd be pockets of revival in those nations. But we have never seen, we have never seen an outpouring that touches the globe, the entire globe. And every person on the globe is at least influenced. Like, let me just go light with this. 
It says, it shall come to pass in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Let's just go light with it. I know that says it's going to be poured out on all flesh, but even if it were just the, the implication of it, it, just the influence of the outpouring touches everybody. We're talking about such a far-reaching, I mean, way over the top move of the spirit like you and I have never seen. I mean, something so far greater than we've ever dreamed. Well, guys, this is not a pipe dream. This is prophecy. Hello. You know, people are like, oh, man, he's all amped up about revival. I mean, when's he going to get over that? I'm not, but the Bible won't. The Bible doesn't get over it, so I'm not getting over it. This is tomorrow's headline. Holy Spirit poured out all flesh. Everybody rocked. I mean, that's the headline from the Bible. Now, think about these implications. So, I mean, that, that in itself, you could just dream. What's it going to look like? What's it going to look like in Mexico? What's it going to look like in Central America, South America? What's it going to look like in Africa? What's it going to look like in Asia, in Europe, in America? I mean, I don't believe God's done with America. Hello, God's not done with America. He's going to pour out his spirit here. I believe there's a third great awakening coming. So, I mean, the, the, there's massive implications on that thought. But then look at this. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your sons and your daughters. Have you ever thought about what it's going to look like when the entire children's church is having dreams and visions and encounters, gone to the throne room, comes down, and the six-year-old wants to tell you what Jesus just said? I mean, have you ever... Do you want to talk about a pastoral nightmare? The Lord loves these ideas. This is his idea. To fill all the six-year-olds with the spirit of prophecy. So they're having throne room encounters and open-eyed visions and dreams in the night. So they walk up to you and tell you your name. Come on. They have never met you and say, hello, the Lord told me, John, that da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Bam. I mean, do we... Do we have a grid for this? We, we haven't really read this verse yet, have we? Because if we had read it and understood it, we would be preparing to handle what it looks like when you've got the Holy Spirit poured out on the children's church and on the, on the five-year-olds and on the nine-year-olds and on the 15-year-olds and what it looks like when a spirit of prophecy is resident on the entire group of young people. There's going to be heavenly encounters, gang. Many of them, many of them, you know, and I, so I think about these things and I go, gosh, Lord, I hope we're building just us here. Let's just talk about us here because this is a, right here, this is a, I mean, there's a huge <laughs> couple issues he lays out here. First of all, every nation is going to get touched and then all the children are going to be prophesying. So I hope we're building in a way that we're not so uh, rigid or just in unbelief or whatever, that we don't have this in our grid, that the young people are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and, in, and dropping prophetic bombs. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what do you do when the whole children's church goes to heaven? Really? And then comes back and tells you the mysteries of the throne room. You're like, well, that's a little out there. I, not really. It's kind of Acts 2. <laughs> kind of in here. See, my point becomes, if we're not building in a way that agrees with this trajectory, 
if we're building something, what are we doing? We've got to build in a way that agrees with this trajectory. And the Lord says the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh. And the children's church is going to get fiery. <laughs> Real fiery. Well, beyond that, it's going, to, it's going to touch everybody. Men, servants, maid servants, old men, young men, all the women. Everybody is going to get hit with the power of God. This thing is coming, beloved. And so we need to, A, pray into it, agree with God's heart, and then ready ourselves. You know what I'm saying? And then operate in as much as we receive now, as much as we can. I mean, I want to lay hands on the sick until I start seeing all the sick be, being healed because that's coming. And, and I'm going to continue to believe in healing. Even if I, you know, even if I'm one out of 10 right now, hey, one out of 10 is better than zero out of zero. Let, let's just keep going for it until the Lord increases. So young men seeing visions, old men dreaming dreams, men servants, maid servants, everyone's prophesying. Are we ready for wonders in heaven and signs in the earth? Are we ready for blood and fire? I mean, blood. That speaks of judgment, blood and fire. These things are coming too. We've got to ready our hearts in intimacy, knowing that all he does is good. He is good and all he does is good and that we're ready to agree with all of his activity in the earth. Come on. I, pre- I can preach revival as big as possible, but man, as soon as I throw in, and he's going to release judgment, like, oh, I don't know about that. No, he's, he's the judge of the nations also. Come on. We're not just going buffet-style Jesus. He's the judge of the nations also. He is the great intercessor. He's over the great harvest, and he is the one that God has appointed to judge the nations. That's Jesus. He's all of those. He's the bridegroom, the king, and the judge. We can't just, you know, quadrant out the piece of him that we like and just go only with that. No, he's all of that. We better go for all of him. Amen. I'm stirred up. All right. Wonders, signs, blood, fire, smoke. Something's going to be on fire. (laughs) I mean, vapor of smoke across the earth. I don't know if that's glory, fire, glory, and fire. Fire, it says fire and smoke. You got both of them. Heavenly, earthly, both probably. Verse 20. Sun into darkness, the moon into blood. And then our time frame, right up to the day of the Lord. So this is one of the clearest explanations that we're going to see a move of the Spirit at the end of the age like that the earth has never seen. I call it a, a cataclysmic move of the Spirit. It's the big one. I call this one the big R. Big R revival. Now, There will be many, many, many swirls of revival, localized things. I believe all of these are building blocks. Acts 3.19, like we talked about last week, describes them as times of refreshing. That word times is kairos. It means appointed times in God's calendar. Refreshing is a Greek word, anapsuxis. Anapsuxis, it means recovery of breath, uh, life from the dead. There are appointed times of recovery of breath. Appointed times of life from the dead. There are many, many, many of those swirls that happen all sorts of places. Regionalized swirls of the Spirit of God. I want to say yes to everything the Holy Spirit's doing all across the earth. As the Holy Spirit is releasing more power and more presence on the earth. As people are coming to to be revived and, and coming to know Jesus. I want to agree with that. I never want to find myself on the side going, well that doesn't look like the way that we believed it would come. And so therefore it can't be God. I, I want to just go, okay, Holy Spirit, 
What are you doing? Are people loving Jesus? Are they getting saved? Are they getting holy? Are they, are they coming after you? Are they falling more in love with God? If you're doing that, I'm in. I mean, that's biblical stuff. I'm in. I don't care if it looks a little weird sometimes. I, I, I was just, I'm on this thing on Sunday nights. I'm, I'm teaching on the beauty of the Lord. It's really the thing that's really dominating my mind and how great God is, how, how sizable he is. And I'll just throw a statistic out there. It won't make sense to your mind. But it's real. As best we know, there are 10 sextillion. Everybody say sextillion. You don't even know what that is. That's 21 zeros. 10 and 21 zeros solar systems that God made in one instant. He stretched them out like a curtain. The God who can make 10 to the 21st power solar systems, and we have a solar system, Sun to Pluto. He's got 10 sextillions of those and he made them in one instant. He can actually cause your body to shake a little bit probably. Just a thought. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, he can backflip you across the moon and back. Woo! I mean, he, if he can make 10 sextillion solar systems in one instant, he could, he could send your body on a lap around Jupiter. It would be nothing. So I don't care if it doesn't exactly agree with my mind or my flesh. I want the Holy Spirit. I want it to agree with my heart. I want to see people loving Jesus, becoming more holy, getting right with God, getting saved. Those things, healings, power signs, I'm all for it. And the, 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 uh, the value system of the kingdom being, being expounded and established in people's hearts. When it, when it begins to look like Jesus. So it's not this big show, but it's Jesus being glorified. His values, meekness and and humility, you know what I'm saying? Giving, serving, loving, laying your life down. Those things, when those things are evident and resonant, I'm like, all for it. Yes, Lord. No matter if it doesn't exactly look the way I think. Now, flip over with me to Isaiah 62. I just preached a whole message right there. That's what I was doing. I was actually, I was torn between two messages. So I decided to make the first message my introduction. And now I'm actually on my message for today. Sometimes when you're, you know, you can get a little bit like uh, split personality as a preacher because you just got both things burning. You go, which one am I doing? I've literally, I've done this before. I've showed up and actually said, now which one do you guys want to hear on? Because I've got two messages, this one or this one. And I let people vote and then I just preach on the one that they wanted. Because I can't tell which one is the Lord, so I've got both of them burning. So I go, just which one is, are you hungry for? And then I throw that one out there. I've done that a couple times. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Isaiah 62. We know this verse. It's a familiar verse, one of our favorite verses. I want to emphasize one piece of it, and then I want to take a few minutes and unlock why the Lord ties the issue of his return and the glory of the Lord across the nations, why he ties those together to Israel's salvation. Israel's salvation. It's critical that we understand that the revival, this big R that I'm talking about from Acts, talking about from Acts 2, that it relates to God's agenda for Israel. That's critical. This is not just some little hyper-charismatic idea that there'll be a great revival. This is the biblical found, biblically founded idea, and God, it has 
clarity as it relates to God's agenda for his nation, for the nation of Israel. All right, Isaiah 62, look at verse 6. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You make mention of the Lord. Do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. I love this verse. I preach this verse all over the place. So often when I preach at conferences, I preach this verse. Because it unpacks in Isaiah 62 God's agenda and his action plan for the nation of Israel. He starts off and he says, verse 1, I won't rest and I won't keep silent. And, and, and the reason is until Jerusalem burns in righteousness. Until, until Israel is fiery for the Lord. He goes, I won't stop talking about this. He goes, and I'll make her beautiful. I'll make her like a diadem in the hand of the king. And he goes on and lists. He goes, I'll change her name. I'll call her, uh, instead of forsaken, I'll call her sought after. And I'll call her beautiful instead of barren. And, and so he goes through that, and I, and I go, I, when I read those verses, I go, awesome, Lord. I love, I love your plan, N- now I, your agenda. Now, what's the plan? Because Israel doesn't really like Jesus so much right now. They kind of think he's a false prophet. And they're probably mostly culturally Jewish, but mostly religiously agnostic or atheistic, for real. So what's your plan? He goes, verse six, I've set watchmen on the wall. He goes, I've already done it. My plan is already established. Now he's saying this through Isaiah some, you know, over 2,600 years ago. He says, I've already set in motion my action plan. And it's this, night and day prayer. He goes, there'll be watchmen on the walls who will not hold their peace day or night. He goes, just like I won't keep silent, they won't keep silent. He goes, and you make mention of the Lord. You who cry out to the Lord, I think the NIV says. He goes, give the Lord no rest. And he goes, I won't keep silent and I'll give myself no rest. And I'm going to raise up people all across the nations who they will give themselves no rest and they won't keep silent. He goes, I've got an intercessory prayer movement that I'm releasing across the nations. I go, whoa, you're going to cause Israel to come to salvation through a global prayer movement. And that's what Isaiah 62, 6 and 7 gives us. A global prayer movement. Watchmen on the walls who will not hold their peace day or night. They will not keep silent. This is plural. These are communities. No one person can go 24-7. I've met a few people who've tried. It doesn't work. These are groups, communities that go 24 hours a day in worship and prayer. You know, I never planned to do 24-hour prayer. I wanted to do revival. And in my... Hunger for revival, I thought, well, we better pray. And then I fell in love with intercession and worship. And then I felt the Lord go, we're going to pray a lot because we're going to get a big revival. I go, okay, I'm, I'm for that. He goes, you don't have any idea how much we're going to pray. I go, okay, how much are we going to pray? He goes, forever. I go, but really, what's the real number, Lord? He goes, always. I don't... I wasn't trying to go to the always prayer meeting. I wanted to go to the prayer meeting where you pray and you get something for it. You know, you just show up at the meeting and then you get something. Show up at the meeting and then you get something. He goes, no, no, no. I am changing earth's atmosphere. I'm changing the worship and prayer on the earth to reflect what's in my throne room. What's in my throne room is 24-7. I'm releasing that across the globe because I'm about to take ownership of the nations. I'm going to release my kingdom in mass across the globe and then I will take residency on the earth. I go, oh, that's, that's bigger than a big revival, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus is coming. And so connected to that idea is this. 
he says, I'm not, they, they, he says, I'm going to set watchmen on the wall. They won't hold their peace. They won't rest. He says, until I make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And I thought, that's about, that's about all Israel getting saved, for sure. That's about Israel getting saved. And I remember staring at that one time, and I just felt the Lord speak to my heart, and he said, even if all Israel got saved, that doesn't make them the praise of the earth. I went, really? Because I kind of thought it was just all Israel gets saved, and that everybody goes, wow, look at them. They're saved, and they're the praise of the earth. He goes, no, Jerusalem isn't the praise of the earth until the praiseworthy one dwells in Jerusalem. Oh, you're saying when you return, Jerusalem will be the praise of the earth. Ah, I get it. And you get all these verses that talks about uh, Zion, beautiful in elevation, and how it's the the praise of the whole earth. Uh, You know, the city that's the perfection of beauty. Why? Because the one who is beautiful will be dwelling there. And so here's the deal. This prayer movement, we get it, is unto the Lord's return, and it's unto something significant happening in Israel. Now, for years and years and years as a Christian, I, the Israel thing, I, I didn't get it, you know? I'm just trying to get a little revival in Gwinnett County. Like, I don't get the Israel thing. I know we're supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I'd heard a couple missionaries to Israel a couple times, and, and I just never quite understood this. And there's, there's five or seven reasons. I, I wrote a book about the prayer movement, and I, and I lay out five to seven reasons why God, why Israel's important to God. But, but at the end of the day, you know, one that just stands out to me is this. When God chose to redeem humankind, he had to release, he had to, he had to make himself a human. He had to put his son in, in human flesh. And so to put his son in human flesh, he had to choose somebody through who Jesus would come. And he chose, he chose Mary. And, 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 and so... The point was, he had to bring Mary through a line. There was a lineage involved. There was a people that was going to be, you know, Mary's ancestors. And and so he looks all the way back in the DNAs and he goes, there's this guy over here. He's an Iraqi right now, but I'm going to make a nation out of him. And, And what I'll do is, that nation will be my nation. And from there, I'll bring a lineage forth and I will bring my son. I'm choosing a people through whom which I will birth my priceless son into the earth. And so you go, okay, so he chose Israel to bring forth Jesus, right. But here's the way the Lord thinks. He's not going to lose Israel in the process. He's not going to choose this people and then sort of just fumble them to hell after he brings Messiah through them. You see what I'm saying? He's just not, he not that way. So he goes, I've chosen Abram. I changed his name, Abraham. You know, I, I'm going to bring through his lineage, Isaac and Jacob. I'll change Jacob's name from deceiver to, to prince with God. I'll show all the nations that even the one who's at odds with me, I can, I can turn it around so everybody recognizes there can be entrance. He goes, I'll show this, the, the, all the nations that through people that are even rebellious that I can still win their heart. He goes, and I'll show that even through people that are stiff-necked and that are hard-headed, he goes, I can even bring God into the earth through their line. And I will show all the nations that even though I bring my son through a people that's stiff-necked and hard-headed and, and rebels against my ways, I will show all the nations my intention in my heart that I will not lose them in the end. 
Beloved, that's, that's it. And that's our story too. When we see God's activity with Israel, we look at our story, we go, man, I'm kind of stiff-necked and hard-headed. He goes, exactly why I chose them. Because they look like you. Whoever you are, they just look like all of us, just regular dudes. But God chooses Abram, chooses Abraham, brings a line through them, brings Jesus through the line and goes, I will not lose this people. I want a global prayer movement on their behalf. I want salvation in full to come to Israel. I will make them burn. He goes, don't keep silent. Give yourself and give me no rest until they burn in righteousness. And he always does things. It's amazing to me. It, it boggles my mind. I sit and weep over this point. He always does, this, does things with human partnership. Human partnership. He wants participation from people. You know, if you and I were God, we'd wave our hand and just make the people service. Bow down, nations. <laughs> you know, that's how we do it. We go, I win. Devil. You know, we just knock the devil out and, you know, release salvation and snap our fingers and glory would cover the earth. Hallelujah, 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 holy, holy, holy. There we go. Not the Lord. The Lord wants voluntary love. So he creates humanity and asks for human participation, partnership. And this is part of his aggressive desire to see Israel come to salvation. Now, let me work through Romans 11 and give us a little, a little bit of biblical backdrop to this idea of a massive Gentile harvest and a massive, actually a full harvest of Jews. There's coming a day when every single Jewish person who's alive on the planet will bow the knee to Jesus as Lord. That is a for sure biblical promise. Every Jewish person on the earth will bow their knee to Jesus. Now there's going to be a major purifying and purging process through it all, but they will all say, yes, God will not lose them. All right, look at Romans 11, verse 1. I'm going to go just a little Bible study in these next 20 minutes. Romans 11, 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Look at that. Are we in the New Testament? Is Romans in the New Testament? Isn't it interesting that God says his people Is he talking about the church there? He's talking about Israel, isn't he? We've got to really be careful because it's so uh, woven into, especially charismatic churches, that we just, uh, you just hear it preached all the time that anytime Israel is mentioned, that now means the church. Beloved, that doesn't now mean the church. That means Israel. That would be as weird as saying anytime Egypt is mentioned, it now means, I don't know. Something else. It's not that way in the scripture. The nations retain their names. They're still who they are. Israel is still who they are. And in Romans 11.1, 1, he says, I say then, God has not cast away his people. Certainly not, for I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknowed. God has not thrown Israel away is the point. He goes, he's not done with Israel. And this is critical because the context of the book of Romans is Paul is writing to a church that's divided over Jew and Gentile issues. And he's calling them back into reconciliation. And he's trying to tell the Gentiles, you're not any more special. And he's trying to tell the Jews, you're not any more special. But he's telling the Gentiles, hey, you've got to recognize what God has done with the Jews. And Romans 11 is one of those chapters where as a Gentile, we read it. We need to be, we need to be like 
take and pause and, and, and have a little caution on our hearts because what God's laying out here is that as a Gentile believer in, in Messiah and Yeshua, that we are not to get haughty and arrogant against the Jews. We're actually supposed to see God's plan to bring them into salvation. All right. Look at, I'm going I'm ha- I'm to have to like kind of just do the overview, but let's just work through it. Look at verse 8. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. He's quoting Isaiah 29 verse 10. That spirit of stupor has been on Israel since the days of Isaiah. It was something resident upon them at that time. It had to do, and we saw it manifest in a lot of their unbelief and their rebellious heart toward the Lord and his, and his leadings that even caused them to go into captivity in Babylon. And it's even increased, and we saw it when Jesus comes, we see in the New Testament only a small fraction of Jews actually receive Messiah. Now think about that for a minute. God in the flesh shows up to the nation he's called to and from, starts raising people from the dead, doing all manner of healings and miracles, signs and wonders, and they cannot see God right in front of them. I mean, the astounding thought is that they could not see Messiah when he was standing in the flesh in front of them. Why? Because there was a spirit of stupor on them. A spirit of stupor that caused them to agree with Rome and see see God put to death? Yeah. That, That level of foolishness. God's in front of them raising people from the dead and they can't see it because there's a spirit of stupor on them And so we look down through the years and we see Israel kind of opposing the activity of the Lord, the activity of the Holy Spirit. We see them even now, like I said, they're mostly, you know, agnostic, very antagonistic to the gospel. What's going on there? It's a spirit of stupor. It's what the Bible tells us. There is a blindness on their eyes and a deafness on their ears. And they can't see and hear and be converted. This is... This is the state. And so here's the thing that's interesting to me, though. In the last two decades, there are more Jews coming to the knowledge of Jesus as Lord, as Yeshua, as their Messiah, than there has ever been in all of history prior. That should be an indication to us that that spirit of stupor is beginning to lift. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's been a major blockage up until about the last 25 years. And in the last 25 years, the number of salvations coming to the nation of Israel, coming to Jews across the nations, it's gone completely off the charts. That should be a sign to us that that spirit of stupor is is beginning to lift off of Israel. Now look at this. Uh, Verse 11. Paul describing... God's plan for Israel. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. 
It's amazing. In a few sentences, Paul explains why Israel's got the spirit of stupor on them. It's because God wants to see all the nations come to bright, burning righteousness. He wants to see a massive move of the Spirit that will sweep many, many, many Gentiles into the knowledge of God. And Israel will see that and be provoked. He's not going to lose them. He hasn't cast them off. They haven't stumbled that they should fall. He goes, but to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Look at verse 12, beloved. Now, if their fall, that means their denial of Messiah, the spirit of stupor, if their fall is riches for the world, in other words, it's salvation to the Gentile nations, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Because if God can use the spirit of stupor on the nation of Israel to bring salvation to the nations, he goes, what's going to happen when they say yes? If God can bring blessing from their unbelief, what does he bring when they say yes? What is he going to bring to the nations through their faith? Look at verse 15. He says it again. If they're being cast away is the reconciling of the world. The nations of the earth, the Gentiles receiving salvation in Jesus. If they're being cast away is the reconciling of the world. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So here's what Paul is laying out for us. He's saying, these guys are not completely rejected. They're they're temporarily blinded. Some would have you believe because they didn't enter into faith in Messiah that no longer has God's covenants, does God have a covenant with Israel. Beloved, is God a covenant-keeping God? We don't throw the covenant away because... The human side errs. God is, yes and true, the promises of God are true, yes and amen. God is true to all his promises is what I'm trying to say. God is a covenant-keeping God. He makes a covenant and he never changes from it. He hasn't thrown them away. In fact, the fact that there's a stupor on them, he's using that dullness, that unbelief to bring blessing to the nations. Why is there a revival in China? Why is there a move of the Spirit in Africa? Why is South America experiencing a move of the Spirit? Why are you and I, who are mostly of Gentile origin, now saved? How do we know Jesus even now? Because there was a spirit of stupor on Israel, and God sends the gospel to the nations. And he uses their, their dullness, their blindness, to, become, to, to bring life to us. And so his point becomes, if their dullness equals salvation to us, the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? He goes, what's going to happen when they actually accept their Messiah? He's going to tell us. Verse 15, life from the dead. Do you know what life from the dead is? We're talking about the powers of the kingdom, the powers of the age to come, unleashed across the globe. That's called the millennium. In the millennium, in the age to come, and I can't go through it, I'll just give you a thought. It's a thousand year revival. You have streams springing up from the deserts. You have water exploding out of desert regions. You have the land being healed. You've seen these transformation videos where they've got the land getting healed and the bananas are as big as my arm. 
That's happening across the globe. Why? Because when they come into salvation, it's like life from the dead. Look at verse 17. Now this is a caution to us. If some of the branches, that's talking about Jews, were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, that's talking about Gentiles, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. The root and the fatness, that's speaking of the kingdom of God. If Gentiles were able to get in on the kingdom, and Jews were being broken off, do not boast against the branches. This is talking about the Jews. Don't boast against them. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. It's the kingdom of God that God is is releasing across the earth. Verse 19, you will say then, branches are broken off that I might be grafted in. Paul says, verse 20, well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Look at this. This is the word to the Gentiles in regard to how we're supposed to uh, think about Israel. Do not be haughty. But tremble, but fear. Have a reverence for what God's doing, the activity and the plan of God. Verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. His point to the church, the Gentile church, is guys, don't just write Israel off. He goes, if they were broken off and their unbelief enabled you to come into salvation, don't just write them off and get all arrogant that now you're the ones. Come on, the kingdom is God's doing, and that's what supports you. That's what you're in on. You're in on the kingdom, the root and the fatness. You're in on the kingdom. And God can bring anybody into the kingdom he wants, and if he broke them off, he can graft them in again. That's all he's saying. This is, this is so clear. What's, it's wild to me how we just rip Israel out of the picture and put the church in there. Half of it's because we don't have a picture of God's promises and his covenants. And when he makes a promise, he keeps it. All right. Verse 25, here we go. Now this is where I'm, this is where I want to, this is my exclamation point. This is where I'm heading. This is my point now. I laid all that out for you to recognize that these thoughts about Israel coming into salvation, these ideas about uh, this this, uh, life from the dead through their acceptance of Messiah, it all has an exclamation point for us. Verse 25. Look at, listen to Paul's language. I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. And here's the mystery. Blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Verse 26. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away on godliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Here's what this is saying. There is a plan that the Lord has been working the entire time. He's allowed blindness to come on Israel. And it's not total blindness. It's not complete. It's partial blindness for a time so that the Gentiles could come into salvation. But then he says this, and that blindness will stay on them until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Comes into what? Into the kingdom. What is the fullness of the Gentiles? The full number of Gentiles that are gonna get saved in this age. 
That's what that is. The full number of Gentiles are going to get saved in this age. You want to say it a different way? The full number of nations, of people from the nations that are going to get saved in this age. He goes, blindness will be upon them until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And then all Israel shall be saved. All Israel. That's massive revival. Massive revival is coming to Israel. All Israel shall be saved, but that will not happen until the full Gentile harvest in this age is brought into the kingdom. This timetable is it's clear, it's critical for us to get. We're not just looking for Gentile revival, or let's just say it differently. We're not looking just for revival in Atlanta for revival's sake. Revival in Atlanta, or name your city, is part of God's agenda because he has a full number that he's bringing into salvation. And that, beloved, connects to his timetable for the full salvation of Israel and his return to the planet. All these things are interlocked. Theologically speaking, they're all interconnected. My point is this. If we don't have a theology for massive revival, we don't comprehend God's plan for Israel. Because he's going to bring the full number of Gentiles into salvation. Why? As a means to provoke Israel. He's get, the Jews are going to see nations in love with Jesus. Fully abandoned to their Messiah. They're going to see people laying their life down for Jesus. And he's going to use their their, their uh, passionate love relationship of Gentiles, the passionate love relationship that they have with Jesus to provoke the heart of the Jews, that man, God loves them. It's gonna bring them into salvation. It's one of the means. This provoking has to do with Gentiles fully in love with Jesus. Here's my point. God's zealous for Israel to get saved, but he's just as zealous for Gentiles to get saved. He, he, wants, he wants Atlanta to get born again just as bad as he wants Jerusalem to get born again. Why? Because it's all interconnected. And I love it because that means that I can pray, rend the heavens in Atlanta, and I'm dead smack in the middle of God's agenda for the entire earth in the end of the age. Do you see how it connects? Did I lose you? Sorta? It's okay. Go back and listen to it. <laughs> it's, it's there. It really is. Read Romans 11. It's really there. Here's the deal. As we're saying we want revival in this city, we are working right in line with God's plan for the nations and for Israel. And he will have global revival and the full salvation of Israel. Let me show you one more verse. Turn over to Zechariah. Chapter 12. I don't mind straight teaching it because this is as important as us getting excited about Acts chapter 2, prophecy on everybody. I mean, Acts chapter 2 tells us what it's going to look like a little bit. This tells us how God's going to unpack it. And how how do we carry our heart. And what our trajectory and our mindset needs to be. But look at Zechariah 12. We know that there's been a spirit of stupor on Israel, blindness in part, Paul calls it. 
But in a minute, all Israel will get saved. That means all Israel on the planet that's alive on the planet at that time. Some people have taken that verse to mean strange things and say, well, that means every Jew that's ever lived, they're all gonna, nobody, none of them have to go to hell. That's not real. Salvation is still through faith in Jesus. They have to know Jesus. But look at verse 10. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is speaking of Israel. I'll pour on the house of David, Israel. The spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. You know what the Lord's going to do? He's going to remove that spirit of stupor and pour the spirit of grace on them. And intercession, supplication. They will be gripped. They will come to recognize. They put to death their Messiah. The truth of the Messiah's death at the hands of Israel will be the issue that pierces and penetrates their heart. And they will be gripped and grieve in mourning unto salvation. He's going to remove the spirit of stupor and release the spirit of grace and supplication. Come on now. That's mass revival. And then, beloved... When all Israel is saved and Jesus is reigning in her midst, Jerusalem is the praise of the whole earth. Jerusalem is the praise of the whole earth. It talks about how they will be burning in righteousness, fiery for Jesus. I mean, burning for the Lord. They will be the, they will be the leading nation in the age to come in terms of their devotion in terms of their, their heart for Jesus, their abandonment. If they can be that stiff-necked and that hard-headed against, the, against God when God in the flesh is in front of them, they can reject Him. Think about how intense they'll be when they actually say yes to Him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is where it's going. This is how this thing works. And so some other time I'll talk about, you know, our part, you know, in it. How do we process living this way, being a people that are, are, you know, going for a spirit of revival. I mean, there, there are details that go into this thing, but I want, here, here's what I wanted to give us. I wanted it to give us the biblical backbone because so often people go, oh, that's the revival crowd. They're just kind of shallow. We don't have to be the shallow revival crowd. We've got, there are real uh, truths. There's real depth biblically that gives us every bit of faith we need to go hard after revival, knowing it's right in line with God's agenda for the end of this age. Amen. Amen. Good. All right, let's stand. Listen to the MP3 again if you got, if you got a little bit lost in there. The, and, and work through the verses in Romans 11. I know I was unpacking quite a bit in a short period of time, but it's important for us to have that picture that when we're saying revival, we're saying all nations, we're saying Israel, we're saying God's agenda for the end of this age. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, right now, I just ask that you would continue to make clear What's on your mind? What's on your heart? You have a plan to bring every tribe, tongue, people, and nation 
Revelation 7, 9. Every tribe and tongue, people and nation, you're going to bring them to salvation. And then, Lord, all Israel shall be saved. And so, God, when we're praying for Atlanta, help us to see it as a part of the grand picture, a part of the bigger scheme that you have in your mind the salvation of nations and the full salvation of your people, Israel. You haven't cast them off. And Lord, let us see. Let us see what it looks like. Life from the dead. Life from the dead. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Enlighten our hearts. Lord, we don't want to be haughty or think of ourselves more highly as, uh, than we ought. We want to see that blindness in part is just that. It's in part and only for a moment. You are going to release a great harvest across all nations as a means to provoke Israel. And then they'll look on you They'll look on Jesus and they'll mourn. And they'll come to know Yeshua HaMashiach. They'll come to know Jesus, their Messiah. Lord, I pray. In the very foundation of our pursuit for a move of the Spirit, let us be cognizant and aware that you are working something far grander has many implications, multiple nations, Israel, and the return of your son, Jesus. So God, I pray, you just clarify this in our soul and give us vision. Give us vision. Give us vision, Lord. So that when when we apply our hand here, we recognize it's one part of a much grander story. When we pray here and ask for a break in here, we recognize it's one part of a much greater plan you have. Lord, we agree with your plan for Israel. All Israel shall be saved. All Israel shall be saved. All Israel shall be saved. We agree. We agree that you'll pour out your spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Men servants and maid servants. Everyone will prophesy. You'll do wonders and signs in heaven and earth. Blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We agree with the way that you're going to wrap up this age. Now God set us on a pathway, on a trajectory that makes sense in light of what tomorrow's headlines are. We want to agree with all of your activity, Lord. We want to agree with all of your activity. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen.